Welcome to the latest episode of How Shit Gets Made, a glimpse into the secret world that influences how products, services, and brands come into our lives. Welcome, everybody. This is the latest episode of How Shit Gets Made, the podcast from MindSpark Research International, where we are trying to introduce the world of consumer research to those who participate in it and or benefit from it. So we're always sharing a lot of different new perspectives with people on how they impact the brands, products, and services that we interact with in our daily lives. Today, I have two guests with me, first ever married couple, very excited <laughs> to see how this is going to go. Um, but yeah, so I've got Nina with me and Nina, you and I collaborated together a few years back, um, a couple of times, I believe on some projects and always been really impressed with your work. So Nina, maybe you could tell us a bit about what you are up to these days as an introduction. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having us. Um, it's really great fun. was looking forward to have this chat. Um, yeah, I'm initially a psychologist and a qualitative researcher since over 15 years now. Worked for Research International, Kantar Team S, Point Blank. And, well, actually, I've been traveling the world for FMCG projects. So um, probably any industry or category you're telling me, I can tell you, yes, I've done research on that. Um, and since 2017, I stepped out of being an employee and uh, started being a freelancer. And yeah, since then, I also like widened my field, not only from qualitative market research, but uh, also going into design thinking. I've been giving design thinking trainings for a, a consulting agency worldwide. And uh, last but not least, I think three years ago, I stepped into the area of uh, UX research. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also something we have in common, having like Definitely. the market research part, but also the UX research part. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's kind of like me in a nutshell. Excellent. And you have brought with you today someone that I have never met before, having met you several times. So maybe Dirk, you could introduce yourself a bit. Yes, of course. Uh, first of all, also from me, thanks for having us. That's that's really cool. Um, yeah, my name is Dirk and uh, I'm Nina's husband and uh, I've worked in sales and sales leadership for the last 20 years. I've worked in uh, for a long time in the image licensing industry uh, for Getty Images and for Corbis. I worked uh, as a sales director in an ad tech startup here in Berlin. Um, I worked in uh, service, software as a service sales and uh, I've been a managing director in a digital agency here in Berlin. Um, so yeah. That's, that's a broad a broad range of experiences. Yes. Really cool background. Excellent. Um, well, I don't mean to put you on the spot right off the bat, but actually, um, I've been told that there are uh, some people who listen to the podcast who don't necessarily come from our world, Nina. So you mentioned some terms that I would. I'm just going to throw back to you. So maybe you could tell us what is FMCG because there are plenty of people who <laughs> listen and they're like, "What is FMCG?" And I will say also, as I'm sure you are aware, people on the other side of the pond in a particular continent known as North America. America don't use the same phrase FMCG so maybe you could tell us a bit about what is this ah um, actually I didn't know about um, the other ones uh, not using FMCG but here in Europe or how I grew up in the research um, industry <laughs> FMCG stands for fast moving consumer goods so that's anything you purchase and use quickly from mm -hmm. toothbrush toothpaste to 
drinks to chocolate to so it's not like the long-standing um, stuff you buy and have there like for years so cars or whatsoever but really like yeah the stuff you you consume very fast mm. so how's it called in the us cpg so it's consumer packaged goods Ah, see, so that it doesn't something. have the fast moving thing, but it it apply it implies kind of the same thing. It wouldn't be cars, for example, because it's a, a packaged good mm -hmm. and it's you know uh, consumer and not B two B. So, oh, voila. Um, and then the other term I'm going to ask you really quickly, uh, if you if you you're you're more than welcome to decline, by the way, because I think <laughs> in this particular case it's a little bit more complicated. If you are able to sum this up, I. Uh, would be forever grateful. You also mentioned design thinking. I know there are a lot of people going, what the heck is design thinking? In our world, a lot of people know what design thinking is, yeah. but um, maybe you could try to to give us a, a glimpse of what design thinking is. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, first of all, sorry for using all these terms. No, I mean, don't uh, apologize. I just, it's I just, great. I'm just realizing that I'm probably like already living in my bubble. Um, yeah. <laughs> Design thinking is a process uh, which is actually focusing on how to solve complex problems. I mean, that that's uh, design thinking in a nutshell. And mm. the process is about uh, collaborating with different stakeholders, uh, pulling research in there, really understanding the problem. Um, and at the end of the day, of course, uh, crafting a solution. So mm. um, it's been... How to say? I think it's on the rise, or it has been on the rise, like in the last five to ten years, and uh, a lot of uh, clients, companies are working with it. So complex problem solving, I think that's mm -hmm. it in a nutshell. That's excellent. That is the shortest and most comprehensive answer for design thinking <laughs> sum up that I've heard. So very well done. <laughs> Um, and Dirk, when you, do, are you familiar with design thinking? Obviously, you've heard Nina be talking about it before, but do you kind of understand this process? I, I learned to understand it, yeah. It, it's not something that came up in, in my line of work or in my mm -hmm. career ever, but um, I learned it through Nina and uh, through, through a good old friend of mine who I went to school with who has a design thinking agency here in Berlin, actually. Oh, wow. Um, and went to the original D school where they came up with that. With that concept so it is quite um it is quite it is something that you encounter quite frequently if you live in berlin for example mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter in what where you work actually but uh, but it is quite uh, the talk of the town so was design a, thinking born in berlin but well, it was initially born in san francisco i think okay. but uh it, it came quite quickly uh, to Berlin because um, SAP opened the um, Hasno Plattner Institute, okay. the HPI here uh, in Potsdam, right outside, uh, outside of Berlin. And they were like the big uh, school in Europe teaching it. So, Oh, fantastic. Well, um, for the people listening to the podcast, the reason why I wanted Nina and Nina Plus One, which so gratefully happened to be her husband, to join is because, you know, part of what's been really interesting in this Spark Sesh uh, series is hearing about um, how I, I'm calling them research people think about their work and then non-research people perceive the work of researchers or don't and kind of what is that interaction like and kind of it's really great for me as a research person to hear some of the observations that non-research people have. It's very eye-opening and uh, I think it's really interesting as well, hopefully for the non-research people to hear us talk about some of the things we do that really impact their lives. So um, I was talking about this idea with Nina who mentioned 
mentioned that actually she had had a, a, a similar kind of rabbit hole exploration with her husband. And that is what uh, brought us all together today. So maybe uh, you guys could tell us a little bit about this uh, conversation you had over coffee that led to some of the some of the collaboration that you two are doing, not just as a couple, but professionally now. Yeah, I could, I could do that in a, in a second. Um, I wanted to sort of answer your your question first uh, when when you say how non-research people um, see research people um, <laughs> I want to tell you a little a little story about our very first date Love um, it. so so <laughs> I had never had any encounter with 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 qualitative market research before I met Nina so I didn't even know that existed and so we had our very first day we were sitting in a bar and um, I asked her what she did so she told me, and I couldn't really, I, I couldn't really get a grip of what that actually entailed, what she was doing. So she actually told me to my face after two hours what uh, dishwashing, uh, what um, laundry, laundry, laundry detergent so I used, what what brand, and she was right. Wow. And, and she could she could also explain why she knew, and she 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 had me down. Uh, <laughs> It was really, was really, it was spot on. Her whole explanation was spot on why she knew which detergent I used. And she was right. It was exactly the one that I had sitting on my washing machine at home. And, um, and that was really impressive. And so I married her. No, but- <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, and then the second date was the ring. And, uh- <laughs> no, no, but, but, but I always like, I always think back of, uh, of that that first date, not only for that reason, but uh, but 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 for me that was a good that, that was such a such a good picture of what market researchers do, mm-hmm. and um, and it, it really it really stuck with me, and and I I told that story to a lot of people who also couldn't understand what what market research does, um, so yeah. Yeah, I think that's a a great story, too, because, you know, one of the things that has inspired me to do this series with having someone else on the podcast that isn't just, you know, research people that I already know, is that every time I talk to someone about qualitative research, they always feel like there's a little bit of an overlap with what they do. So if you talk to a psychologist, for example, they're like, yes, that sounds a a lot like what I do in my therapy sessions. Or if you talk to a journalist, they say, yes, that sounds a lot like what I do when I'm interviewing my sources. Or if you talk to, I don't know, a detective. They say, yes, that's a lot like what I do. And so I'm, I'm really trying to kind of span a, a lot of different uh, backgrounds like yours, Dirk, you know, working in sales and all this kind of stuff and say, OK, so what's the overlap here? Um, and, and how did you perceive this work? So that's a really a really great story. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and to your other question. So, so where does the overlap start? There's a lot of overlap that we discovered over the course of us being together and talking over dinner. Um, but I think I, I, th- I think the the one thing that really sticks out is as a salesperson, um, one of the key one of the key things that makes a successful salesperson is to be able to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, Nina, that that is actually something that Nina is very very good at is is interview technique not in a sense of of being able to just push the right buttons but being genuinely interested in 
in the other person's needs and desires and and and, and what actually behind it. So if you if you can't do that, you can't be a successful salesperson. So I think that was pretty early on that we discovered that our, both our jobs had that in common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we've had to say kind of doing similar things, but with a different focus or objective. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah. I, which I think, um, you know, I don't know what you think, Nina, we could probably do an entirely separate podcast episode about this topic. But um, <laughs> what you're saying also reminds me of the fact of sometimes clients watch qualitative research and then they think, oh, I could do that. And then they try to, do, to go DIY, but they're missing that, you know, their interest lies somewhere else because they've got objectives that they need to meet and stakeholders, you know, breathing down their neck. And they're not literally like, I would like to know more about you and understanding kind of the context around something. So they they may say, okay, well, all I have to do is write a discussion guide and then go ask these questions. And they do that and their research is less rich and then they don't understand why. And I think, Dirk, you've just really explained sort of the magic of having a talented qualitative research on your team such as Nina so that's great so tell me a bit more about how the how did the conversation progress in terms of understanding overlap um yeah I think um one of the things we are also discussing quite often and uh, actually that brings me to, to a story that happened last week um I did have uh, group discussions very very tricky ones tricky topic um, and I had the clients listening and um, I did have the presentation last week and the one client he was like totally over his head saying like oh gosh I'm so thankful that you moderated and not me because I would have I would have prompted I wouldn't have let people like have the space because I I was asking for brand perception and there was no brand perception so where there was Mm -hmm. like I don't know 30 seconds of silence and he just said like, oh my gosh, and those 30 seconds of silence were probably the most important thing in that entire research. Uh, and well, yeah, and as a neutral question person, you can leave that silence. Whereas if you do have another objective, like, I don't know, trying to sell something or um, explaining something, you can't leave that silence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but okay, now I forgot the question. <laughs> the question was where the overlap between the between yeah the, continuing the you know as you learned more and more about each other's sort of yeah, experience yeah. and the overlap you both had you have something on your mind you go ahead <laughs> okay. no but exactly so 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 for me as a salesperson it was really interesting to see that there is a job out there where people actually engage into deep conversations with clients um to find out stuff about them without the the objective having to sell something and that is that that is something that we as salespeople never have we never have that that privilege to do that because because we have a an objective behind it Mm. and um so so that that led us in in our conversation to to the realization that a lot of the stuff that market researchers find out um are, are very, very could be very, very helpful for the sales process, and could could be being woven into into the the, the sales guides and, and into the in, 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 into the discussions if only salespeople knew about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we realized was was that, that there's such a it's it's a, so such divided fields actually within companies. Um, the salespeople never hear about that qualitative research really. I mean, it it, it, it 
the marketing people know about it. And uh, but at the at the time that the salespeople get the product and get to sell it, they don't really hear about why it was designed in a certain way or what kind of research or insights led to it being created a certain way. And it could it could be such a great head start. Um, if you're beginning a sales process with a new product or a new feature or um, or something, um, if, if there could be an exchange and also the other way around. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think like really the main thing we also talked about is like, when I go into these interviews or group discussions, um, I always clarify upfront, I'm like 100% neutral and I don't want to sell you anything. Actually, that's a sentence I always start my interviews with sure. um, because I don't want people to feel that they have to give me specific answers. Um, and I think that's really a door opener because they, my interview partners know that it's not like if, if I t- talk with them about pain points or what doesn't work, that I'm like, oh, hey, by the way, and here I have the solution for $19.99. You know, <laughs> I'm going to sell it to you. But um, that they realize that I'm really interested in understanding, hey, what is your pain point, how to say, without a consequence for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something a salesperson would never be able to do because, of course, uh, in the back of the head, people have the feeling like, okay, if I go too much in depth of what's not working right now, um, okay, I'm going to sign a contract for a washing machine or whatsoever. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, they're, they're, they're more guarded. And, and so this is when talking to a salesperson. I mean, I, that I, I'm like that myself. So, so I think that, that sales people could, could really, really profit a lot from, from those insights or even being like, like listening to interviews or being part of interview or, or watching interviews mm-hmm. behind the screen or whatever, um, because it would tell them a lot that a uh, stuff that would help them in their sales endeavors and stuff that they usually wouldn't find out. But also on the other hand, I think sales departments are sitting on a wealth of information um, that could actually really, really help research uh, research projects uh, in their setup. And, um, and in, in a lot of in a lot of instances, I've worked at companies where where we were actually really good working with Salesforce, that which is a customer relationship management uh, software tool that a lot of uh, companies use, um, where we actually gathered a, a wealth, a ton of information that could have been very very useful. And when I told Nina about that, for example, because Nina had a new client, um, there was a startup, and they were they were trying to trying to improve uh, their their product and, and doing research and th- when I then I told Lena you know, why don't they talk to their sales department they probably have a ton of stuff already there with, that they're not even aware of and mm. that was the case right yep yeah so 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 they had already in their salesforce that stuff that they could tap into right away because sales guys gather that for their sales process, but right. it also it's very, very, very helpful for for very basic just to to do to, to see where you're at, what the status quo is, why are people not buying, uh, or or where are they going otherwise, and so to to set up a proper research project that is that is a gold mine. So why do you think there is this separation, by the way? Why, you know, because everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, I have worked with marketing people. I have worked with product designers. I've worked with product developers. I don't know the last time I've worked with a salesperson. 
I, I can't remember if this ever happened. Maybe maybe I start from the research view because actually um, the project that uh, Dirk uh, just referred to um, was a very difficult B two B target group. So business mm. to business, um, very difficult to recruit. So uh, but it, it was absolutely obvious we're not gonna be able to talk to the users or the purchasers of the product just by using our normal market research uh, recruitment um, ways. So um, actually, well, talking to Dirk and he's saying, wow, why don't you, you know, like, why don't you ask the sales guys? They, they probably are on the phone with these, uh, exactly these people every day. I brought that idea into the organization um, and the, they really, how to say, we ran against walls um, because the sales team was, quite clear that they didn't want someone chatting to their contacts mm -hmm. um, which I can understand and probably you can tell more about that in a second or yes. but <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, yeah you can totally understand that but, but I yes. was just like hey guys well you know we have the contacts you talk to them anyway why Am I or why is my, my, my research team not allowed to talk to these people about, yeah, basics, you know, like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, what do you really need? What, what are challenges? What are, what keeps you away from, from reaching your goals and whatsoever? And, um, what well, we didn't succeed. We weren't able to oh, wow. use that rich treasure chest of contacts. Hmm. Yeah, which is which is a shame, um, like I said. But um, let me explain this from a from a sales side, um, because I'm explaining this also to if, if any any of the listeners encounter a similar situation, they they kind of know where salespeople are coming from, and also might help to overcome that that resistance. Uh, salespeople are just very um, protective of their clients because they know that their client's time, for, for example, is very, very precious. And that is that other than a researcher who has set up a meeting with, with, with those people who then, if not, they're not corona times, they come into a studio, and they set aside an hour or two where they actually, and they get paid to be there and they get an incentive and then they sit there and then they're open for this conversation. As a salesperson, you only get them, you know, you, you, if, if you're lucky, you're having a meeting, but then they set aside like 20 minutes and you have to get as much stuff in there as possible. And, um, and then you're really proud of what you achieve in that time. And mm. then over time, especially if it's complicated products like the one you were talking about, you want to be as a salesperson, you want to be someone on eye level for the client, someone, someone that the client sees as a peer more than, than someone asking stupid questions. You want to be seen as someone by the client who, who, who thinks like, oh, this guy really gets me. Dirk really, I can talk to him like, like he's my colleague. He understands all this stuff. And then the, 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 the then having someone from the same company um, call the client up and ask, seemingly really dumb basic questions is something that is is is, is something that, that the sales guy would just it's just a horror um to think about that because he thinks that it will destroy the all that connection and all that that expertise um uh, that that he has built over over a long period of time 
But what I was saying is that, I mean, that might be hard to overcome. But uh, for example, there's always lapsed clients. There's always clients who are not buying anymore, who have bought in the past or, or just never bought, but they're still in the database. Yeah. And um, so that would be an entrance as a researcher. If I would go to talk to salespeople and ask them for contacts, mm-hmm. I would have them give me those kind of contacts. Mm-hmm. Because, because it might be it might be really difficult to get a sales guy to give you yeah. really hot contacts that he's <laughs> working on right now. He's so close to signing them and he doesn't want anyone uh, to mess that up. But there's a ton of clients he's sitting on that are not doing anything. And that could be really, really valuable for researchers also. So I have I have two questions off the back of this. One like contradicts something that I was saying earlier in the discussion. Um, and the other one is, you know, just, I don't know, mystery. So in given all of this that you have just explained, in my mind, I'm like, well, what's the solution? And there's there's two ideas. They're not the only two, but there are two ideas that I would love to hear from you on. One is, why don't we as researchers interview the salespeople? I mean, are they not, you know, capable of saying, well, based on my experience, I've talked to many people who have encountered this issue and and this is how they solve it and et cetera. Um, and so that's question one, which is mystery. And then question uh, two, which is the one that contradicts what I was saying earlier is what about the idea of maybe training um, some of the salespeople to do you know, portions of the qualitative interview so that on their sales calls, they can actually ask some questions. Um, Maybe we have access to the recordings of those conversations, or maybe they write up, you know, some little report that the researcher can then take and amalgamate into something useful. So any thoughts on either of those? I mean, the second, the second one is something that I, uh, that I find that that, that is a great, this, this is a great idea, because, like I said, earlier on, um, those conversations are not so different from each other anyway. A qualitative mm-hmm. uh, interview uh, is not so different from, a, from a, a, a really good sales call, especially in the, in the early stages. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we're talking about a complex product, the first calls will be all about understanding uh, the needs and the, 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 also the deeper needs um, of, of the client. So, um, so I, th- I think it's, it's, it would be an excellent idea to, to train them a little bit more and to give them, you know, to, to slip in some other questions that they might not ask in a regular call, but mm-hmm. that also don't feel unnatural to them because it's not so far apart from what they're doing anyway. Yeah, but as as you know, to challenge what you've said, and to this is why I was saying I'm contradicting myself, and and to refer to what Nita mentioned earlier is that salespeople do have an agenda, right? So are are the participants as willing to answer those questions mm-hmm. honestly to a salesperson as they would be to a third party? Um, tricky, tricky. My, tr- exactly. My hypothesis would be no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, however, I, I think uh, it, it always depends on the situation. I mean, asking salespersons to do these interviews um, with uh, the other option of not talking at all to the client. Yes, that you know, I, I would take everything I get. You know, mm-hmm. um, and also, I mean, that 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 that's a thing we always have to be aware of as researchers. Anyhow, um, is there a bias, and what is the bias? And I think if we are aware that probably the situation 
is different because a salesperson asked maybe the exactly same questions, um, I think you can still work with the results. So best case mm -hmm. scenario would be a well-trained researcher talks to uh, the client. If we somehow don't can't make that happen, salesperson doing that. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. But I would also now listening to Nina. <laughs> I would also not only suggest salespeople listening into a research calls, but also researchers listening into <laughs> listening into, into good sales calls. Because I also I feel that the, the that, that there's a preconception here, and that is probably because most people uh, haven't experienced a good B2B sales call. Because when mm -hmm. we hear sales calls, we think about the, the people who call us at home and try to sell us, I don't know, uh, mobile Something you contracts. don't need, something you stuff, don't want. Stuff you don't we need, stuff you've never asked for and stuff you don't want. Um, a, a B2B sales call, especially with complicated and large uh, products is It's a different. It's a different game, and it's and and a good sales guy also knows when to drop the rope and to say, okay, if this is how you feel. Then our product is just not right for you, and uh, let's leave it at that. Mm -hmm. So, because it, it sounds from from what, yeah. and, and I can totally understand because I I know that sales has that rep, and um, so this is why listening in on the other hand might surprise some researchers how in-depth those conversations can be actually mm -hmm. yeah good point point Without, taken pushing, <laughs> pushing a product onto someone point taken i have to admit uh um i was i was building the ux research department at tier uh e-mobility startup here in berlin um, and actually that is something we did Uh, we, we like uh, had a little program whenever people uh, were on board that um, they were, well, it wasn't sales, it was customer support, but there were also like some salespeople there. So, yes, you're absolutely right. We did that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> And this, this links to my other, you know, potential solution, which is what about interviewing the salespeople themselves as participants to say, okay, well, you've spoken to X number of people and you've gotten all this information. What can you tell us about the, the problem, the question? Um, may I start? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Such a polite married well, you, couple. You, you, no bickering. Well, you, you, could, you should see us at night at the dinner table <laughs> having discussions. Um, <laughs> Well, the thing is, for me, it kind of depends on also um, what what step of the process we're talking about. Like, for example, the the startup I'm I'm consulting, um, we've already been talking about. Um, there, it was the interviews would have been about um, product development, so like a product which really didn't exist yet, mm. um, or how to say, well, the, the, the MVP existed, was like features, and you know, so. In that situation, I would be afraid if I would talk to the salespeople that based on anecdotal knowledge, you know, like I talked to three clients and, oh, by the way, they also want pink unicorns and they want to have a fairy tale and blah, blah, um, that you kind of get a wish list based on one interview, but, but, but not like the in-depth problem understanding I would need. However, I have the feeling if we are in a later step, you know, if if um, if I have a salesperson who have th this product is already, I don't know, kind of a finish or quite far uh, far along the development pipeline, and then talking to salespersons, 
I, I think that's great because, yeah, they do have that knowledge, but I think you have to be aware when might you be used um, to write a feature wish list. Yeah, mm. exactly. I, can, I totally agree with Nina here. If you ask, uh, if you would, would be asking salespeople at a too early stage, you would get exactly that. Because at that stage, all this, because they're, the, the agenda of the sales guy in the end is to get the sale. And, um, and if a client tells him, we want that button to be read and, to, and, and then I would buy it, then this is what he would tell you. And, mm. uh, but, but let me phrase it a little different. I learned from Nina um, that, <laughs> that so I, I learned from her so many things, but, <laughs> but, but, but also um, the way she asks questions in interviews um, is, is quite different then a salesperson would ask because it's much more open and it, it leaves much more space and it leaves those 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 empty three seconds that she was talking about in the in the beginning that most salespeople wouldn't even be able to to stand and uh, so if you're talking to salespeople i don't think you will get the depth or the or the or you, you would get to the core of what you're actually looking for. You would get mm -hmm. a lot of anecdotes and you would get a lot of wishes um, at, at, the, at an early stage. So at a later stage, it might be different. Mm -hmm. So have you ever, Dirk, um, witnessed Nina in action? I, I imagine now it's, it's a bit uh, interesting because we're all of us doing a lot of our work at home. So maybe she's in another room and you hear her asking some questions to a participant or, or something like this. Um, yeah, I actually have because I, uh, I, I, I had some time and someone who was writing the protocol was, in, um, was taking notes, was, was sick. And uh, so I, I um, volunteered to do that, so I wrote wow. uh, I, I yeah. took notes for, for for a couple of group sessions, actually. And yes, um, I was very impressed, um, particularly uh, with that ability to to be so non-biased to just leave them be. I would I would have the 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 urge to correct them a lot more <laughs> if they're saying stupid things that are just not true. <laughs> And, and 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 it's just amazing to me how Nina sits there and says like yes okay okay yeah Jeff Bezos it takes is, practice is the Jeff I must Bezos, say Jeff Bezos <laughs> is, the, is the the CEO of Google yeah yeah Jeff Bezos okay I write that down and I'm like no he's not but she could she could just stand that you know and that is totally amazing to me and that she's and, and the persistence uh, that is necessary to really get something I would give up way earlier if someone says now i don't i don't know and then she asks again and then she leaves the space and then until it's so uncomfortable that that something comes out of that person and i was like wow how, how'd you do that uh, that was really amazing to me because i would have said okay he doesn't know and he, he, he it's torture for him at this point he doesn't want to answer this question but then then I think this is where the, the real magic comes in when you know, yeah, I torture him, but I know that there's something there. And, and then it comes out and then you're like, wow, that quote just made the whole session, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> 
I love this way of describing it. It's torturous, but it's a torture of love. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, this is probably the last time someone booked me for interviews now. <laughs> no, but you guys know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, it has to hurt a little, I think. <laughs> I think yeah. it's really interesting to hear from your perspective as well, because as you're describing this, I'm thinking, well, as a salesperson, your job is to make someone feel really comfortable exactly. and to make them like to, to lubricate the conversation, you know, as exactly. it were. And, and Nina's job is to build rapport and trust. But trust doesn't always necessarily mean easy conversation or comfortable conversation. So it's, it's a bit of a different objective. Nina, you are going to say? <laughs> um, no, I, I, exactly. I was just like still with the torturing thing, and uh, I should <laughs> maybe reconsider. No, um, actually, what I was um, thinking about. Um, well, I've been well, probably making um, you as well. I've been, I've been training a lot of juniors through the course of my you know years as researchers, and it's it's so interesting that uh, well, of course. There are always these tiny things where you feel like, how do you teach them? And I think mm. what just just said this. Well, that's let's keep let's say with the word torture. Although I'm, <laughs> but, or how to say um, having the feeling of, but hey, there is something. You know, I mean, at a certain point, I accept that that person doesn't have an opinion on the brand, um, but at least trying it from from another angle or a third angle and then giving up and and that feeling and when you do it and how you do it i think that's like one of the major things a, a junior researcher needs to learn you know like of not stepping out too early and saying like oh they they said everything's great yeah. let's go to the next topic where i feel like oh really let's you know let, let's just look at this one more time mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it is a really tricky thing to teach because there are some moments where you can let those comments pass. It depends on how closely their answer is tied to the objectives of the research and being able yeah. to keep the client objectives in mind all the time um, so that you can make sure you're diving into the right things and and mm -hmm. letting people express themselves um, about other things that are also interesting. But yeah, so that's great. So. Before meeting Nina Dirk, did you ever participate in research? Had you ever been a research participant of any kind? No, no. Um, maybe once in a mall in the U.S. where I was uh, taken to a back room and asked, about, and, <laughs> and asked about beer. Um, and I, that was about it. But there was free beer. They so. asked a German <laughs> about beer in a mall? Yeah, they didn't know <laughs> I was German. So. <laughs> no, no, I had never, I'd never participated um, uh, before I met Nina. No, so I okay. I yeah. And then your your kind of first real introduction was her basically Sherlock Holmesing your laundry detergent. <laughs> oh <said>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, it's, it's hard said, to be married to a researcher. But do you know how many laundry detergents there are in a store? I mean, it's it's really amazing for someone to be able to pin down which one are you using. So I think we have to go into this a little further. How did you know, Nina? How did you know? <laughs> yes, please. Explain. Well, I mean, I, I guess not all listeners will be familiar to the German uh, laundry detergent market. But uh, back then, I was um, doing a lot of work for laundry detergents. Um, so I was really in the topic. And the thing was, 
I, well, how to say, had a segmentation in the back of my head. Um, because I figured like, okay, you know, looking at the clothes uh, Dirk was wearing, it's like, okay, clothes are important. So caring for the clothes is probably important as well. Um, so it didn't look like someone who like, oh, you know, I don't care, I don't mind and taking the cheapest value for money brand. But I figured uh, the second the second thing was I knew he was single and I knew he was living alone. So male single in his 40s, living alone, um, doing the laundry himself, caring for clothes. So I figured he probably not going to buy the high end uh, brands. So like the most expensive on the market, because I figured like based on what we already talked about, I figured he, he must have been in between. And then there were specific brands in, in Germany, which uh, which came into consideration. But it was kind of the segmentation I had in the back of my head. <laughs> that was right. I mean, Oops, I, hold on. <laughs> uh, uh, actually, I'm still quite good at doing that to other people because yes. I remember when I was meeting his friends, they're like, oh, I don't believe it. <laughs> I'm, exactly. still, I'm still quite good at it, I have to admit. Uh, yeah, um, she, she met my friend when she met my friends and I told them that story and they were like, yeah, no, no way she can do that. And she's like, yeah, she can. And she did. <laughs> so is this your new party trick now? You go into <laughs> Uh, well, when there are parties, let's say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can uh, you can figure it out. Well, uh, it's interesting because I, I thought for sure at some point there was going to be a smelling of the clothes, you know, to try to understand what scent is it or anything. But no, just from mm -hmm. shopping yeah. habits and... Yeah. Just segmentation. Too. Just segment. Yeah. Pure old segmentation. And that was actually the frustrating thing for me in that situation was I, like that I'm just a segment, you know, <laughs> that I'm not, I'm, you, you, we always think we're so individual and we make our choices. Um, and then at the end of the day, we're just a segment. Yes. <laughs> and we're a very clear segment. <laughs> Um, so, well, we've heard a little bit about how sales and qualitative research overlap and the ways that both uh, sales people and research people could benefit from each other's knowledge. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about um, the Nidos Academy that you're building together. Nina. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the sales person. Yeah, you're... Okay, um, I start and then I, I hand it over to Nina. So, so that. <clears throat> The thing was that we actually thought about what what would we like our lives to look like and uh, what would we like to do. And then uh, we actually thought we would really like to work together. Um, um, and then we we thought about what could we do. And then it turned out that in the in the in the past one or two years, Nina has been approached so many times by companies who would actually who, who wanted to have research and uh, wanted to have research knowledge built up within their companies and not uh, not so much given it out to external agencies like they like uh, traditionally was done or is still done uh, but wanted to build up research capacities within their within their companies to be able to to do ongoing research also ux research and qualitative user research and uh, to build up that within their companies and mm -hmm. so so that gave us an idea why not try to work with that yeah and let me step in at this point I, I remember the first times these companies reached out to me I, I thought like well am I stupid that's gonna make me unemployed in the future you know like uh, teaching <laughs> my skills it's like hmm. um, but like um, so 
living in these different worlds of uh, market research, UX research, and also design thinking. So it's good that we defined it in the beginning. Um, all these different areas are doing research, no matter if I teach them how to do it properly or if I don't teach them. And I've seen a lot of bad research happening in the past. Mm. Um, and I also see like that uh, it is partly quite difficult to uh, persuade stakeholders who are against uh, research, who think like, oh, I know it all, you know, my gut feeling tells me. Um, to persuade them to do research. And if you finally manage to, to, to persuade those stakeholders and then you do bad research, you lose that stakeholder forever. That mm -hmm. person will never, ever believe in research, um, have research done or whatsoever. And I figure like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I don't want that to happen. You know, like mm -hmm. if you want to do the research and you're going to do it anyhow, let me help you do it properly. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of like the uh, idea behind the Needles Academy of, um, yeah, building research knowledge for everyone well, who is interested in, um, mm -hmm. from UX research to design thinking research to market research. Exactly. So, so what we did so far is that that Nina has come up with a really, really great uh, online course. Um, that, that anyone can can actually book and, and, and do, which is a, a very, very good foundation. And uh, we already have ideas for other courses. Um, and we're still very much in the in the beginning of the project where we, we actually try to figure out what do how would people like to learn those research skills. Ideally, is an online course even the right platform? Would they like to have it face to face? Um, is it maybe it's a mixture of both? So at so at this point, we invite everyone to just come to our website and just give us give us feedback and tell us what they would like to see there, um, and we would take that into consideration and 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 try to build a place where where anyone interested in research can learn and uh, and and do that. And, and maybe it's just a small thing that someone's missing and they're already a great researcher, but there's always something about the about a certain about segmentation, for example, or <laughs> setting up questionnaires or whatever, that is always a bit of a problem where we can help or it is dating. dating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can be the other the other function of Nidos Academy is a matchmaking, exactly. perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's where we're at. That's very exciting. And what's the what's the web address for the Nidos Academy in case any listeners want to visit? Um, it's www.nidos-academy.org. And NIDOS is N-I-D-O-S and Academy with a C. Yeah. Great. I think you can find it based on that. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll also we'll share the link out for sure too as oh, well when we, yeah. when we publish. But yeah, so this is a really great idea and I, I love that you're starting it up. I know a, a lot of companies, MindSpark as well, we're, we're not doing an Academy in the same way that you are, but you know, sometimes companies are coming to us saying, can you just train us on how to do certain yeah. things? And yeah. I had the same conversation with myself, Nina, like, am I... Am I working myself out of a job right now? Um, but I also just realized at some stage, in addition to what you said, and people are going to do research. Yes, that's true. Um, and they're going to do it poorly if they don't have training, 100% agreed. But I also think that um, 
people's need for research is going to grow faster than their skill set is going to grow. So I imagine yes. that what's going to happen is they'll do a little bit of research and then a really big project will come and they'll say, okay, possibly yes. we need some help with that. And then, you know, maybe, the, and then they become more comfortable taking on a, a bigger project and so on and so forth. So I think it's really yeah. great what, what you're doing. And uh, do you think, for example, Dirk, that there may be some sales uh, people out there in the world that will, that could benefit from some of the stuff that you would be offering at Nidos Academy. Absolutely. Will you have some? Yeah. Will you have some sales specified content, like research for salespeople or something like this? Uh, we haven't planned that so far, but it's a very well, good idea. Well, there you go. I take ten percent. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but the thing is, the the, 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 the interesting thing is that um, uh, that I see with 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 Nina as someone being so experienced in in in, in qualitative research. Um, for her to be able to to put that into into teachable lessons um, is is sometimes a real challenge for her because also mm. as in a lot of jobs you're very good at it and you don't even know why or how exactly sure. you're doing it so so this is the, this is the interesting point where where Nina just sometimes says yeah I don't know that you, you can't teach that it's just experience it's like. <laughs> Yeah, but <laughs> try. Yeah, but we'll try. We'll, <laughs> there's there's got to be some uh, some <clears throat> solid tricks to that, and, yeah. and we we're trying to figure that out together. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it's tricky, especially if you've been doing something for so long. You you are no longer you're quite separated from any training that you have received at this stage, and so a yeah. lot of your kind of habits and and ways of working are almost innate at this stage. So. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's, it's, it, it feels intuitive, although, of course, I needed those years to build up that intuition. But, um, mm. yeah, <clears throat> but um, yeah, I, I think you can learn it, uh, but you, um, well, you, need, you need to have the experience. And as you also said, what, what I really saw with uh, enabling well, newbies to research is that I also felt that that their appreciation of research really grew. Mm -hmm. Because at the beginning, you know, like everyone said like, yeah, come on, talking 30 minutes or one hour with someone, everyone can do it. Wasn't like, yeah, go ahead, go, you know, <laughs> do it. Um, and after a while, these people come back and say like, wow, okay, well, it was more difficult. Um, I, I, I got lost um, in the interview. My interview partner only talked about their cats, but I wanted to talk with them about how to buy a printer, you know. I mean, there's there's so much to this entire research thing already in the setting up and the well, how you ask the right questions in the interview, how not getting lost, uh, and then comes to analysis. Where I feel like the more I teach people, the more they appreciate what an art it is. It is mm -hmm. an art you can learn, but um, yeah, it's not as easy as just saying like, "Hey, I'm just gonna chat for 20 minutes." And, mm -hmm. and to your question, um, this is exactly what a salesperson needs to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Don't lose. Don't uh, lead the conversation. Um, always be in be in charge of the conversation. Don't have have a client uh, lead uh, take over the, the the lead of the conversation and take you where he wants. You take him where you want him to have to be. And being able to ask the right questions um, with a slightly different approach and with a slightly different. Uh, goal in mind but mm -hmm. still the, the the basic skills that are required for both uh conversations are the same mm -hmm. 
Excellent. So just kind of a final question to you both, and I'll start with you, Dirk, and maybe Nina, if you have something to add. But as a like I was saying from the beginning, a non-research person who became introduced to this world via Nina. What are sort of, you know, the most surprising or interesting things you've learned about uh, the research world from your point of view? It's it's a difficult question. I think I was really surprised uh, that this sounds very basic, but I think I was most surprised how big a thing it was, that how much of it was there, and and that that without me knowing anything about it, it was just go- permanently going on, and there were facilities with with one-way mirrors and and all that kind of stuff, and 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 there was a whole industry that I didn't just just didn't know anything about, and that they had conferences and and and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. That was the most surprising thing to me, to be, to yeah. be totally honest. Yeah, um, well, it's exactly why I wanted to start this 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 podcast series with with a non-research person included is because literally every time I talk to someone who is like new to my life I don't know I meet a new neighbor and they say what do you do and I say quantitative research and they say what's that and I explain a little and I still don't get it and I explain a little and then finally and then somehow at some point uh, maybe not necessarily always in a date situation but some point something clicks and they say oh okay now I get what you do and then they realize there's this world that doesn't exist I very often um, I realize this is you know perhaps um, a little bit American-centric, but I always use the analogy of the the Wizard of Oz uh, movie to describe what we do, like research, not just qualitative, but market research and user research in general. We are the man behind the curtain. Everyone sees the product and the brand, but it's the research behind that makes everything appear the way it does. And nobody knows we exist. Um, So I think what you're saying is is really... uh, not surprising to me, and I wouldn't say it's basic. I think it's I think it's a fantastic sum up of how a lot of people experience our world without realizing it. Yeah. Anything to add, Dina, about uh, about any of that? Mm, no, actually, um, yeah, I think that really um, hits the point that, and I, I, yeah, I just realize remember like the first times I explained to you like there is this facility with the one-way mirror like what <laughs> people people sit in a room you know that's like maybe CIS you know and on the other <laughs> side it's like like yeah yeah and that's that's what I'm doing so I'm, I'm kind of um, on the stage the entire time um, yeah yeah well we don't we don't uh, pandemic times we don't do that right now but um, yeah it's yeah, funny I mean, that you mentioned CIS and something like this show because uh, my partner and I, we were watching a, some crime show, something where what, there was a one-way mirror. And in the episode, the guy says, oh, you don't believe me that there's people watching behind the mirror. And he walks over to the wall and flips the switch on the other side and then all the observers. And I said, no, 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 there's no light switch in, the, in this room. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, that's not how these rooms are designed. I know, I've been in them many, many hours of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, well, anyway, it's the end of our hour. So I just want to thank you both again so much for coming. This has honestly been a fantastic conversation. It's been so great to hear your perspective, Dirk, and to hear more about all the great things you're up to, Nina, and Nidos Academy. So uh, thank you both for, for joining.
Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was a real joy. Yeah, <laughs> likewise.